Welcome back to the MBH podcast. Money buys happiness, guys. 90K subs. Fucking love you guys for real. Thank you so much. The, the support has been crazy. The numbers have been flying. So we love you guys. Appreciate you. And already know if you're here and you're not already subscribed, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, like the video, leave a comment. We're easy. We take anything, right? And if you're listening, make sure you give us five stars. Yes. We yes. always forget about the listeners. Yeah, I no? know. It's true. It's true. And there's so many of them. That's what I'm saying. Where are we today, Ernesto? We are Who in are we South with? Beach. South Beach with Cedric Gervais. All right. Yes. What's up, brother? What's going on, buddy? Did How I pronounce you? it pretty good? Yeah. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Gervais. Yeah. Gervais. Gervais. We're doing ja. Ja. Gervais. Gervais. Maybe it's the, it's the Italian in me. Maybe. Huh? Gervais. Gervais. Yeah. Gervais. Cedric Gervais. Yes. All right. Thanks for yes. having us. Yes. Thank you. We're in South Thanks Beach right now. Yeah. Um, we definitely want to hear your story. Okay. A lot of people know you. Obviously, you've been killing it for decades. I would say. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I want to start where uh, I want to start with how you started DJing, when that happened, and at what point in your life you were at when you kind of discovered DJing. Well, I started at the <clears throat> age of thirteen years old. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in Marseille, south of France. And uh, the culture in France at the time was heavy electronic music. So um, we weren't listening to hip hop. We weren't listening. We're listening to rock and roll and electronic music when you grow up. Yeah. Okay. It's like, oh, rock that was and the roll? culture. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the biggest thing. Hip hop really? was like a very small part. Okay. okay. French hip hop yeah, of yeah. the culture. And uh, so basically, we're going, all the kids on the weekend will go to raves. Cool. Right? Yeah. So we couldn't go to nightclubs. So, There'll be raves, and at the time, you had to meet because raves were illegal. So you had to meet at a, at a, a meeting location, right? And the guy went you a paper with the direction of the rave. That's how it worked. <laughs> That's crazy, right? So you pay That's for the crazy. thing, then they tell you where to meet the guy, and they will give you the thing, the the paper, and then you'll go to to the rave, and you will see like hundred DJs playing that night. So, wow. so that was like real underground. like Real underground stuff. And yeah. I, I was going with all my friends, so I was obsessed with electronic music. Uh, where I really started, I was 15 years old, and I went to see Daft Punk perform live. Daft Punk. Without a mask, with nothing in my city of Marseille. Before the there mask. There was two guys. Wow. Thomas Bangalter and Guy Emmanuel by themselves, yeah. playing with their machines live in front of everybody. And there's a famous picture, I wish I can find it, of me sitting in front of them i'm rolling my eyes out okay i'm like i'm like <laughs> fucked up yeah. and i'm looking at the guy and he's like on the tb303 which is like this um bass machine game manual is like this and there's a picture of me just like this like looking at him like you know what yeah I mean? mesmerized mesmerized by it and when i went home that day i was like this is what i want to do like it's crazy the daft punk from that moment from that moment it was like i was like this is it. That's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to. I want to learn how to make music. I want to. I want to DJ. I want to do all these things. But it really the Daft Punk and the the crazy story about this is fast forward years later. And the night that I won a Grammy is the night that Daft Punk won their first Grammy for the album. Holy Come shit, on. bro! Come on. It was. I was sitting there with my manager and I was just looking at Daft Punk accepting the Grammy for best album. Yeah. And I just won my Grammy right uh -huh. for Summertime Sunnets with Lana Del Rey, and I was just like remembering the moment where I was a kid. Yes. Just looking at these guys and be like, that's what I want to do. Unreal. That's the craziest Full shit. I got chills. Moment, that's crazy. Yeah. This, yeah. So thirteen years moment. old is when that happened. Thirteen. Thirteen years old is when. I got in love with electronic music. Okay. Obviously, 15, I was too you young. Fifteen. Fifteen is when I decide this is what I want to do. Okay. Right. So, so you, so, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you so figure you go it there, out. Yeah, yeah, you go there. You see this happen. I see that happen. And what's the next step? I How go, do you... Next step is I buy turntables, Techniques MK2 at the time. Yeah. Okay. Vinyl. I set up this in the, the the basement of my grandmother's house, and I'm DJing for six hours a day. Poor grandma, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm buying. Yeah. No, but she was supportive. So, okay, cool. so I'm going to record store during the day. I'm buying after school. I'm buying vinyls. You yes. know, at the time you had to go to record store buy vinyls. Yeah. I'm buying those vinyls and I'm going home, and I and I'm DJing six mm. hours, six hours in the basement like crazy. That's yeah. all I'm doing. Then, um, then I learn how to play music, instrument, guitar, piano, everything okay. with my stepfather. Cool. So I was really involved in music. And, uh, but my, my career started, I became the youngest resident in the, the hardest club in France called Queen in Paris. Okay. It was okay. a gay club. Okay. And I became the youngest resident, 17 years old, 
to be the resident of that club. Okay. Right? And it's like only big DJs are playing that club. Like it's a big thing. Yeah. But what happened to me is when I started that, Paris shut down every club. Like the day that I started, a week <laughs> later, they shut every club down, every bars, everything because of drugs. Okay. What? Just too much going around or something? Yes. Shit? They okay. shut everything down. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm like, I just moved to Paris from Marseille. I'm like, that's it. I made it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm in the hottest <laughs> club. Yeah. After all these years of learning, whatever. And now, my dream is crushed. I can do anything. So a friend of mine at the time was living in Miami. Okay. I'm 17 years old, and this guy's like, "Listen, come with me to Miami, and then when everything settled down in you know in Paris, just you go back, go and, back. and go work." Yeah. And I, I showed up in Miami. But and, uh, but I want to know prior to that, like um, like is your family supportive? Like what what's going so, on in your life while you're trying to get to that point in Paris? So my father um, used to be on nightclubs and restaurants and everything. Oh, so it was right? in that lifestyle already. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it was in the lifestyle. So I told them, when you go to school in France, you can't just drop out of school. You mm -hmm. have to be in front of a judge and you got to tell the judge. Oh, the really? parents have to tell the judge, why are you taking your, your kid out of school? You can't get off school like this. What? Okay. So I told my father, listen, I want to I wanna make music. Yeah. I want to be a, a DJ or producer, whatever. And my father, as crazy as he is, he goes, okay, no problem. So he went in front of the judge and he said, I'm taking my, my kid off school. And, uh, and the judge is like, why? He's going he's gonna to be a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> the judge was like, what the, the judge fuck? Thought it, my father was crazy. Yeah. Obviously, you have to do homeschool and all the things. Course, sure. to, you know what I mean? But my father supported me and took me there. Wow. Yeah. And then I had a, I, I, um, there was a club in Central Bay called the Papagayo. Okay. Central Bay is a hotter city in yeah, South of France, well, you know. And in the summer... I was able to do a season as you know a resident DJ there. Cool. That's what I skipped. I forgot to tell you why I ended up in Paris. Is okay. the guy that ran the Queen in Paris was running that club at the time. Cool. So my father got me the job there and was driving me every weekend Crazy. to play and be the resident. They were real yeah. supportive. That's yeah, yeah. amazing. Big supporter. And I have a, a, another story that's going to give you chills, right? Okay. Because I told my father I want to get off school and I want to do a DJ. And my father mm -hmm. said yes. So I, I, uh, so I get to uh, the Papagayo, the guy from the Queen is there, sees me the summer, he's like, this kid is amazing, we've got to bring him to Paris. So that's how okay. it started. So okay. now you fast forward, I'm at EDC Orlando, and I bring my father, huge fan of mine, right? Playing main stage, that's the time that I had summertime sadness, my career is like fucking, yeah. going crazy, right? And I'm about to go on stage, and there's like maybe 40,000 people in front of the stage screaming, chanting my name oh before my going God. up. And I, my father is like this with a camera filming. And I went to him and I just tapped on the shoulder and said, Dad. And I said, you remember when I asked you to get off school? He looked at me and goes, what? You, what? I said, you remember when I asked you to take me off school? I goes, this is why. That's and then I walked up on stage and everything. And he stopped crying. Yeah. Sure, of he course. He stopped cheering up. Like, it was like this. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, 100%. Course. Because to take that chance, like, you're so at young. That, at that that's age. Crazy. That's crazy. My mother thing, thought yeah. he was nuts yeah. when she did that. My mother was fighting him, everything. And my but there father, was no hesitation. He's like, yeah, no, no problem. Hesitation. You want to do this? He's like, he's like, you want to do that? No problem. I support you. Let's go. But were you always, a, I, I guess I want to know, were you always a, maybe a kid that sort of like you put your mind to something and that's it yeah i was always like that okay i never had a job in my life i never worked i yeah, was really yeah i never worked in a day job or just, just i just wanted to make music yeah I, I was you know i worked uh, uh uh one time i worked in a record label okay to learn the business sure. it's like more internship i wanted to learn the business so mm -hmm. i went over there in paris and i just yeah. No, I wasn't getting paid. I was just like learning. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And in terms of how you were learning, how were you learning at that point? Were you just educating yourself on being a DJ? How? Because now you can go on YouTube, figure out how to how to no, you use just the turntables. Learn you. You didn't yeah. have internet. Yeah, I didn't have a phone at the time. There was yeah, no phone, crazy. no internet, nothing. I was just like insane. You know what I mean? It's like you had to to go and and listen to other DJs and see yeah. and go to record shop and find the records and nobody would tell you what's the hottest record. True. That's, the, that's go, the big difference. So you had to go to the raves, listen to the guy, and see the reaction of the crowd, and be like, "Oh shit, this is." And people would talk about this record that's about to play or whatever. Yes. And then you had to find the record in the record store if you can't find it, and then you had it. Yeah, because you can't even sh you can shazam it and be like, "Hey, what's nah, up?" There's is no this? way. Like, yeah, was there was there any DJs that you were looking up to at that age, at seventeen? Yeah, uh, Carl Cox was oh, one Carl of them. Carl Cox, legend, the legend. Yeah, yeah. Legend. Laurent Garnier, which is yeah. Yeah, French legend, the Daft Punk, obviously. Uh, it was more in the techno world by sure. the time because techno was very heavy. Yeah. Big at that point. Yeah. So you make it to Paris. You essentially everything shuts down. Crazy. Like, everything shut down. My like, dream is crushed. Yeah. yeah. So 
fast forward now, your your buddy says Miami. Yeah. Why Miami? Do you know why Miami? Because my friend was living here at the time. Okay. Yeah. And he invited me to his house. Cool. Uh, uh, to, so I'm sleeping on this guy's couch. I show up in Miami. I had like seventy dollars in my pocket. <laughs> I didn't speak a word of English. Yeah, yeah. But how was that for you at that age? Coming it, on your own. it was it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. I remember like one time I, he was living at the Grand in downtown. Okay, it was the only building in downtown. Downtown was like you will get shot at the time if you. Yeah, walk yeah, yeah, downtown. yeah. I always hear like, that. Serious, like. So I'm I'm just looking at the city of Miami and I'm I'm like like I'm start getting homesick. I'm like I'm in a different country. I don't understand anybody that's that you know speaking. And then I had like homesick, but in my head I was just looking at the city and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take the city over. Yeah. Yes. I don't like. I was like, swear yes. to God, like I was eighteen at that time. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna take the city. Over. So at that point, you you knew you weren't gonna go back. I to knew France. I was not gonna go back. Yeah. And wow. you didn't speak any English at the time. Nothing. That's like that's that's the part that I always find interesting when people move to a country and don't speak the language. Like, yeah. aside from not being with your family, like, holy fuck, you don't speak the language. Like, how do you communicate with people? Was your like, friend from France as well that came, was here calling you? Yeah. 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 Okay. Paris. He spoke English. Okay. Okay. He was living in he Miami. Was your he had an apartment at the time. He, he lived here. And um, uh, yeah, so I was, I, I, he told me, he told me just watch a lot of TV <laughs> with True. English subtitle. Yeah. Just, and, and, and make sure not to hang out with French people when you're here. <laughs> yeah. Because if not, you're never going to learn English. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, he's not Get wrong. Get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So, so, so where do you go from there? How do you, do you, do you start DJing right away? Do you do so, something yeah. else? What's the, what's the move at <laughs> that point? My life is just crazy, man. There's so many <laughs> things that happen. It's like, so basically, there was this very famous club called The Living Room at the time. It was the hottest club in Miami. The Living Miami Room? Miami Beach. Yeah, The I Living like Room. like that name. Cool. Talking about Madonna going there, like all oh, the hottest models. Okay. Johnny Versace, like yes. the hottest, you couldn't get in. Yes. From Monday to Sunday, the hottest club. Run by French people. Oh, so here we go. Here we, no, go. Wait. here we go. So the friend of mine, there was this very rich guy. His name was Daniel Ursh, if I remember correctly. Threw a party on his house. And he goes, I need a DJ. My friend goes, oh, I got a guy from France. You should do it. You should get this guy. So he, he hires me to be the DJ. That night, it was the hottest party in town. Everybody went to his party. So, and, and the living room, the club knew that they were going to his party. So they're like, okay, they're going to go. And then they're all going to come to the club. Mm. I DJ that night and kept everybody at the <laughs> house. The Amazing. club was empty the whole night. Oh, fuck. So the owners start freaking out and tell the promoters, what's going on? Where's people are? It goes, well, there's this party. This DJ kept everybody there. He's amazing. And the guy goes, go get the guy. We're hurrying it now. Just so like I got that. a residency at the club. I didn't yeah. speak a word of English. Just oh got here. God. They made my visa. They made everything. Yeah. Sponsored you. Oh, yeah, because amazing. I was a tourist at the time. Yeah, true. Right? So they applied for my visa. They did everything. And I became the resident of the living room from Monday to Sunday. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and how long do you think that lasted? Let's say you were 18 when you got here. Yeah. How long do you think you were doing that, that club? I did it for three years. Straight. Three years. And straight. at that point, you weren't you weren't doing like festivals or anything like no, that. No, no, okay. no, no. That, yeah, I was just a, a resident. Well, at, at that time, I was just saving money to buy equipment to make music well that's the other thing i wanted to ask you how was the money situation for you being here not really just getting a new job obviously i don't know if it was expensive at that point but it was not expensive but it was it was hard i was living in a very small apartment yeah in miami beach you know and uh it, it was tough it was like you know what i mean i was buying food i can like <laughs> yeah they were not paying me a lot of money but i was saving trying to save to buy to you know to invest and get equipment, learn how to make music. Yeah. And but that experience of working now at this club so quickly after you came, what was that like? Because like you said, every famous person was going there. It was crazy. Yeah. It was every famous person. The funny thing is people will ask me for requests. Okay. Right? They will come up to me and they will ask me for requests and I will look at them and be, yes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and for I would sure. never play the song because <laughs> yeah. I don't understand what they're saying. So, and, and then they will get mad and will come and say, fuck. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, this, yeah. I'll be like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what you're saying. What and you're I, yeah, I had no idea what they were saying. <laughs> yeah. And the it was run by French people. So the manager yeah. was French, the owners were French. So, so they're speaking French. I was speaking French to everybody. So you were doing what your, yeah, your friend I, said not to do. Don't not hang around. And I'm hanging out with French people and it was hard and I couldn't yeah. understand anything. So yes. at that point, do you see anything past this venue or are you saying I'm just gonna focus on this residency that I, I have? Time, yeah, I just I just kept working because yeah. I see the money was coming in, right? I had my apartment for the first time. You know, when you get your first apartment, yeah, yeah. You, you feel like you feel good. 
And then I, I, right away, I don't know, it's not somebody that, that told me you have to do that, but I was like, I got to save money and buy equipment. I got to make music. I got to yes. produce music. I have to do this. Yeah, yeah that was my question. I was going to say, did, did, uh, like, did someone lead you in that direction? Was that something you always thought about doing? Did that only come after Miami? Like, was that always the thought to make music? What's going on is Snoop, and I'm here to announce that the new Happy Dad and Death Row Records flavor is grape. And now it's officially in stores. I chose the flavor, and the team at Happy Dead, they spent months perfecting it. And it's my new favorite drink. If you're chilling at home or turning up at the club, make sure you do it right with the Happy Dad and Death Row Grape. Call your local liquor stores and see who has it. It's everywhere now. You can also order it on GoPuff app, Instacart, and Drizzly in some areas. You gotta be 21 and over and drink responsibly. It was always the thought, but okay. it was difficult because at the time we didn't have what we have now. Yeah. Like now we're making music. FL you see, Studio, music Logic. Yes, yeah. yeah. Right? Before you had to buy all this gear, outside gears, and I was making music on Atari computers. Crazy. It, it was it was very tough to make music. So mm -hmm. you had to buy so much equipment to do to do this thing. And now like kids are making music on their laptop. It's true. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? So it was the first thing. But it was like Nobody told me you have to buy this. Like, it was just, it, it came up to me, it was uh, like logical to yeah, it go. It was like natural for you. Know, natural to, to do this, right? Yes, that was the next and step. And at, at that point too, were you trying to market yourself at all? Were you trying to get get to know people or get to know club owners or I was, to I was, I, to, to be honest, I already had a, a website at the time. Oh shit. Come on. I started making a website. I was no like thinking way. already. Ahead. And I was just a resident DJ, but I was thinking like a big artist. Yes. Yeah, I need my website. I need, I need to make videos, I need to do this. I was like, and I was marketing myself. I was like really like, you know, talking to people. Yeah. Of course. And- uh, You're very forward thinking at that time. Yeah, I was I, forward thinking with that. And at a very young age. Yeah. Because I feel like, especially back then, there's no blueprint. Like like you yeah. said, now we mm -hmm. go on YouTube and how to market yourself as a DJ, 2023. How to like, DJ. Yeah, how to DJ, how to do yeah. everything. What, what, what do you attest that to? What do you, what, why do you think that you kind of knew all of these sort of steps or that it came naturally to you? I, because I was looking at other artists, what they were doing. Okay. And even though they were very successful. So what I understood, I understood that if you want to connect to people, you have to make music, right? Because mm. yeah, I was connecting to those artists because of that song they were making. True. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to connect to a local crowd by being the, the a great DJs in Miami. But if I want to be outside of Miami, I got to start making music. Because okay. this is how I'm going to connect to people. That's what I figured out. Yes. Even though I had no idea what I was doing, I was yeah. making beats, whatever. <laughs> I was like, one day I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to connect and, and travel outside of Miami. Yeah. Okay. Right? And, uh, and, and, and doing the website and everything is because I was looking at other artists, they had website. Probably True. nobody was wa watching my website. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I felt good about myself. I was like, you True. know what? I got my website. I got my dates where I'm playing yeah. in Miami. And yeah. I got it, you know. It shows you're serious. Here's my bio. There's, you know what I mean? Yes, that's that's yeah. it. Interesting. And I want to even compare, like you mentioned it, how, how much harder it was back then to make music than it is now. Do you think, on a side note, do you think that a lot of the passion has been removed from that side because it's so easy nowadays for someone to create just on their laptop? Or no. No? No, I, I, don't think, I, I don't think the passion. I think kids have the passion to make music. I, yeah. just, I just think there was less distraction at the time. Okay. Mm. You know? True, like, that's a good point. When I was in the studio, we we're in the studio and just making music. When I'm in the studio now, even me, I get distracted. I get on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. I get <laughs> uh, I watch yeah. this on YouTube or this that. You know, you get distracted in session all the time. Yeah. So what I do now in, in session in the studio, I make sure that everybody keeps their phone out of the studio. Cool. You know what I mean? Yes. Just for an hour or two. We're just yeah. in the studio. Let's let's talk to each other. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. let's vibe. Because if not, like somebody and I'll do it myself. Yeah. Like they start writing some music. When we do writing sessions in LA. You have the writer that writes the lyrics. You have the singer. You have a guy that I'm playing guitar with, whatever. We're all in the studio, and all of a sudden, I'm on my TikTok going like this, and I'm not paying attention to the, the session yeah, anymore. Yeah. It's so easy I mean? to get distracted, yeah. Which is bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. all those aspects of making music, you just named them pretty much. You have the writer, you have all that. Mm -hmm. So when you started making your own music, were you on your own, or did you have these tools around you or these people around you that can make it with you? No, I was on my own. Wow. Mm. I was learning. I was on my own. I was learning machine by machine. I was reading in magazines and stuff. <laughs> and, 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 and to be in rooms with people also, like I, I got in, in, in studio session with other people and I would watch what they do and in writing session, I would watch how they write and how mm. they, you know, operate, how they record the vocals. And, and one time I remember I went to a session 
And this guy was recording the course, and I thought it's like one take. Yeah. But then you had the ad libs and the, you know what I mean, the high, yes. the low, yeah. the whispery ad libs, and all this thing. And we're spending hours and recording the same thing over and over. And my first time I was like, what is this guy doing, man? Yeah. And then you stack them together, and it's like this big vocal, you know what I mean? And you're yeah. like blown away. Yeah. But I would have never knew if I was not in the room with the guy watching what he does, you yes. know what I mean? So, Did it take you time to to get that right? Like the making music part? How long do you think it would it took you to kind of learn it the took ins me, and outs? It took me a long time. Yeah. Long time. And yeah. I, 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 long time to get it. The, the first record that, that, that I made that was right was called Burning. I yes. made this record and I knew the A&R of Ultra Records, which is the biggest dance record in America. Mm -hmm. uh, David Waxman was playing at Crowbar at the time. Okay. And I knew he was playing. I was the resident of Crowbar Miami at the time, and I knew it was playing. So I, I made this record called Burning, and I burned the CD, and I said, you know what, I don't know this guy, but I'm gonna go hand him the CD. So I went there, I introduced myself, I gave him the CD, I had no idea who I was. The next day he gets in touch with me, he goes, man, this song is amazing. I'm signing it, and I'm signing you for a three album deal with Ultra. Just like that? Just like that. No, just from you shit. giving someone... That's... Just give him a CD. Like this, yeah. I hand him the CD. I had no oh idea. This God. is my first song I ever produced ever. Come on. It was mixed badly. It was this or that, but it, it was a great song. So I give it to him and he saw the talent and he yes. signed me in a three album deal. And later I did three album with Ultra. So that, that was, was my first that was, the, that was the start, let's say. That was my start. Yeah, that yeah. was my start. That's why after that, I became the resident of Space Miami, the, the famous terrorist yeah, of Space Miami. I started that. Yes with Oscar G, Ivano Bellini, all my uh, old friends resident. And uh, that's when my career really blew up is when I was the resident at Space Miami. And how did it feel being being signed to a label like that? How, what did you learn from it that? It felt great because you, you were inspired. Now you know that your music was gonna get out there yes. yeah. and heard. Yeah. I don't know how many people, but for sure <laughs> you're gonna be on, on uh, I, I remember I was in a record store, I would go in a record store and, and, and those people, Ultra, would rent the front store I forgot the name of the record store in Miami Beach, famous one. And they yeah. would put, when my album came out, they put my album cover in the, <laughs> and I was going there every single day. Like the day. glass, you can see it. I was it. just watching the album cover in front of the window. Of course, yeah. why not? Yeah. So at the time you had to buy the CDs. There was yeah. no yes. iTunes, there was no, none of that, Spotify. Yes, yes, and, yes. and at what point of that, like what, how old are you at that point when you got your first deal? I don't remember, I think 23. Wow. 25 yeah. or something like that, I don't, I don't remember. It wow. took me a long time before like getting yeah. there, yeah. And you said three albums. And then after that, I've deal. done three albums with them. They renewed, yeah. they renewed it. They wanted okay. to renew the deal after, but at that time, I had management. Now things are getting serious. Okay. Because yes. I was on my own doing everything. Well, that's what I was going to say. When do you start building this team around you? Even that first you? deal, though, you're on your own? I, I was on my own. No team. Nobody. Yes. I was yeah. doing everything. I was the resident. I was, what I was good at is marketing myself and became Mr. Miami as yes. DJs. Yes. Like people would know, oh, Cedric, that's the Miami guy. Cool. Right? Cool. People will come to Miami. I want to hear Cedric at the Terrace of Space. But I would travel nowhere in the oh, world. Oh, you didn't leave Miami. So you still stayed here. Okay. I was there. And and I, at one point I was doing, uh, I mean, I, my career was up. And then when I stopped being the resident at, at Space, it was a very tough thing for me because he didn't want me to play anywhere else in Miami. And he would pay me $500 on Saturday to play from um Five in the morning to seven at night oh, on the terrace. Shit. But I knew I had to do this because it was the hottest place in Miami. True. Yeah. But I couldn't barely pay my rent. I was like, I came for making money. I was fine. Now I'm moving to this guy. Yeah. But that's where all the big DJs at the time. You knew were you were playing. getting the exposure there. Yeah. yeah. I knew. I was like, I have to, you know, yeah. do this because I know somebody's gonna see me see play and, and take me on. Yeah. So I went over there, I struggled for the first year. I couldn't even pay my rent, it was crazy. It would not allow me, and everybody was offering me jobs everywhere in, in Miami, like come play here for a thousand, come play here for 2,000, this, and I couldn't take it. I was paid $500 to play over there. Yeah. I was barely, I couldn't eat nothing, it was crazy. But then one day, Deep Dish, which is a yeah. massive group, I mean, I'm yeah. pretty sure you know yeah. who they are. Yeah. Sharam and Ali, uh, which is Dub Fire now, came to play and Sharam was like, whoa, this kid is talented. Let's sign him on the on the agency. So I get signed, my first signing, to the agency, bullet booking, Yoshitoshi record with Shram. All of a sudden, I'm on tour with Deep Dish, worldwide, opening for them in front of 10,000, 20,000 people, flying private with them everywhere. Crazy. I'm like, I came from the terrace. So I spent two years on the terrace, yes. struggling, yes. and yes. then I knew that one day, 
one of the guys would be like something's gonna come because that was good all the residents that space were amazing the crowd would come for us and and listen to uh, us play but i knew one day something was going to come out of this and people were telling me you crazy you got to stop yeah. Like you're not getting paid, whatever. And that day I got signed and I end up on tour. With and you guys. knew, you're like, yeah, this is all the fucking hours I put in yes. is because of this. Yeah, but yeah now I, that's I really a question I wanted to understand because the space, the hours are crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it, like, how do you, how do you DJ those types of hours? Like your, your, your daily schedule must have been ridiculous. Like it you're was sleeping crazy. at weird hours up, and. I was waking up at 4.30 uh, in the morning yeah. and uh, I would show up at space with a coffee <laughs> and everybody would be there fucked up and yeah, ready yeah. to go until 7 p.m. But space at the time was not space now. It was insane, man. Yes. I, I remember we play, I would have Missy Elliott to the right, Puff Daddy, Timberland, and all the hottest model in Miami, the, the, the nicest crowd of Miami there, fucked up, yeah. just staying there until 7 p.m. Like it was the craziest time of Miami. Was it a lot more loose in terms of like the restrictions for clubs and whatever back then? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, mm. Space was the first one that started the uh, 24 hour. Yeah, I never seen anyone do that before. Yeah, you were the Space first, is... right? Louis Puig was a visionary. Yes. I was the resident at Crowbar and I heard that Louis was going to open a club in downtown Miami where people literally were getting shot. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be a 24 hour club. I was like, this guy's nuts. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. going to go there. Yeah. And he opened this and it was the biggest success ever. Yeah. He had a vision. Yeah. He went for it and it blew up. Yeah. And still yeah. today, it's still yeah. going. So yeah. you go on tour. That's your first tour now, right? That's, that's my first tour. Yeah. So <laughs> where'd you go? What? We're in Romania. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, then we were in, in Serbia, then we were Spain, everywhere. Yes. And Sharam, which is now my good friend, we're good friend. At one point, he goes, listen, he's, he, this is too easy for him. He's on private jet with us. He's staying in a five-star hotel. So he called Arash, the, the, the owner of the agency. He goes, dude, this kid needs to learn yeah. what he takes to make it. I want him to fly coach now, and I want him to stay in Motel 6. Damn. Come on. So <laughs> Come I on. went from flying <laughs> private with them beautiful hotels to flying coach and motel sex what, right what was he trying because to he wanted me yeah. to learn and yeah. i appreciate what he did because i learned yes okay. right? i say i grind but how yeah. did you take that in the moment though oh no i was going crazy <laughs> yeah i was i was like this is bullshit you can't do this to me yeah. what is this i don't want it and they were laughing at me yeah. i remember sometime we'll fly so they would not fly private all the time they would fly in business class and first class and i would be coached like this <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and they would make sure to get a middle seat for me so i'm sitting in the middle <laughs> yeah. seat and then they would be eating turning around looking at me eating food and me i had no food on the back like this for yeah. two hours in the back yeah. Going. yeah yeah they really they really good well, i was gonna me. say if you went on tour that quickly and, and you blew up that fast i was gonna say how did you not let it get to your head but then you just answered correct it. and then yeah. and then that's what they did to me for that and yeah I mean, it was like, listen, I was on tour. Nobody knew I was. I was yeah. the protege from those guys. Of course, but yeah. seeing was, the crowds and seeing the different Yeah, I countries. was like exposed and I would play in the crowd. Be wow, this kid yeah. is great. But at the time, there was no Instagram to go back to and be like, oh, Look where I, I love am, your yeah. set or this. So I had no idea. I was just playing for those crowds, leaving True. the city. And that's it. And what's the sort of, so from that moment, when do you kind of say, like, when, do, when does it become like, you're not the protege anymore, but now you're the guy at the front? So Shuram said to me, he goes, listen, we're opening the doors for you, right? Okay. You in front of all these crowds, you in front of, I remember I played the Oxygen Festival, which is the biggest festival in Dublin, right before them. I'm talking about like major artists, you uh two, -huh. this and that, and then all oh, of wow. a sudden, Sadhu Gervais and deep dish That's opening serious. for them i had to it was in their contract yeah he goes we can't expose you so much but if you don't do it yourself by making music and connecting to people mm. then your career is going to go nowhere so yeah. he goes you got to get in the studio make songs that people connect to and then you're going to go on your own and how were you marketing it at that point because as you said no social media no itunes we just had that yeah i mean just the the website uh and and now i had an agency so my agents were pushing me, you know, to do show. I would do show on my own, but obviously not a lot of people would come see me because they, they have yeah. no music out there, nothing. True. So I start making music and um, and then I start producing records okay. that okay. other DJs start playing. Cool. Okay. Right in the scene. Also now they're like, oh shit, we love Cedric's record, like this and that. And Sharam will help me pass it out to other DJs. Yes. And then everybody start talking about me and then I do another one that works and everything. Yeah. And that's how I went on my own. After. Okay, yeah. start getting your own shows. Amazing. Now you have your own music. Own shows, people are coming to hear music you that people play. playing. Yes. I will go see. I remember uh, um, uh, at the time Nick Fantulli, Loco Dice, all Nick those guys, Fantulli. Timo Mas. I was friend with all those guys, and they would play my music. And uh, you know, that's how you create the buzz. Yeah. yeah. And was that something that I guess at that point, 
in that point of time was very popular. I guess connecting with other DJs, saying, "Hey, you guys play my stuff. I'll play yours." Kind of yeah, of course. stuff like that. Yeah, it was That's very cool. important that you'll go see the DJs, hand them the music, talk about it. Yeah, and then wait for them to play in the set, and then you'll be like, you know. And I want to go back to the tour quickly. Coming back from that tour, now back to Miami. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that you learned from that that trip that now you're coming to Miami with maybe a fresh look on things? Well, I traveled the world. That's which yeah. before I never, yeah. you know, it opens your mind. It's like so much. Like yeah. I was always in Miami, and all of a sudden I see all these different countries: True. Yes. Mexico, different Serbia, cultures. this. I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. Dublin. Like I, I never seen different culture, different this, yeah. different crowd reaction. You know what I mean? Different. Yeah. So and and then you learn the business. You talk to the promoters. You see how it works. The tour manager going to the show. This I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. going to space, and I'm five in the morning I'm <laughs> with your coffee, up, yeah, with my case of vinyls, and I'm I'm just right there, you know, putting. The, yeah, at the time, so it, true. it was different. I'm learning the business. I'm like, wow, one day I'll be the one that have a tour manager yes. traveling with me and and plugging my USBs <laughs> and you know what I mean. And yeah. what's your and what's your family now saying at this point? Because you've done a tour and they're like, oh fuck, okay, like, this is really going. They must somewhere. miss you too because you're in Miami. Yeah, of course. No, but I take <laughs> what, what I did is I always brought my grandmother raised me, okay, uh, with my grandfather. So I was always um, bringing them three months at a time to stay with me. Okay. Oh really? Yeah. Beautiful. Well, even though I had, yeah, in Miami, even though I had a small apartment, one bedroom apartment, I sleep on the couch, give them the bedroom, wow. and just have them with me, just to have them with me because they they raised me, yes. they gave me everything. My mother left me when I was young, uh, for another guy. Okay. And uh, and then my father was kind of taking care of me. My father was kind of crazy, so my grandmother, and my grandfather raised me, so I would make sure to bring them all the time with me. To have the family, you know. Yeah, yeah, because you, you still want that family aspect, that family feeling, like around you, yeah. right? You you need it sometimes. You need that. Yeah. yeah you need do you it. think that was like? Do you think, I mean, your mom leaving you at a young age? Do you yeah. think that was like a chip on the shoulder that you had? Yeah, I think it helped me actually. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, you know what? It usually does. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna do it on my own. I just like left. I was like, okay, I don't have any. Uh, yeah. It's good. I gotta do yeah. my own thing. Yeah. Yeah, I so, did my own thing. So when does um when does the first festival happen for you? The first festival, which one was the first? I actually don't remember. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe the one of the bigger ones, I guess. One of the, oh, no, I know. It's the beer festival in uh, Germany. Oh, that's true. It was like beer fest, yeah. 200,000 people. So that was the biggest show you did at that point in your life? At that point in my life, yeah. I, when I was signed to this agency, they put yeah. me there like uh, at the beer festival and it's called the beer festival. Yeah, beer fest, yeah. 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 Beer fest. And then 200,000 <laughs> they're, people. They're fucking drunk as fuck there. Yeah, they're all drunk. <laughs> yeah. I came on stage and there's like this sea of people and I was like, and, and they had no idea what I was. I was just, DJing. Yeah, I was just yeah, going I made it, it man. And, yeah, yeah. and were you ever nervous to do shows? Huh? Were you ever nervous to go up there and, and do all a show? All the time. All yeah. the time. And I'm how, still nervous now. How do you, how really? do you, what's, what's like your pre preset? Like um, routine, um, you have anything or, or when I get very it? nervous, I just do a shot of tequila. <laughs> that'll do it. Yeah, like, yeah, I'll do it. Or I drink some Happy Dad right there. Before, you go. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, Miami, I get very nervous. I don't know why. It's my really? city. I always get nervous. Yeah. Even, even for like a, like a residency, like for, yeah, anywhere that I play, in Miami could really? be. Wow. Yeah. It's like it's I think weird. it's like exciting nerves to be yeah. honest. Yeah, yeah, it's it good is. nerves. It is. Um, and I know you also. We're gonna talk about summertime sadness as mm -hmm. well because that's huge. Yeah. Uh, I want to know how that process went, you, and and how that works with a remix because a lot of the people listening they might not know how it works. Lana Del Rey, obviously. So how did that process go working together and, and remixing that song? Well, let me get you to the moment that I that they offered me. Yeah, to yeah, of course, of course. So I did this song called Molly. Molly yeah, was huge. Right? We were bumping that on the way here, yeah. going nuts. <laughs> so I did this song called Molly. And and at the time, I just signed with my management. And my management is shopping around the record everywhere. Okay. And nobody wants to sign the record. Nobody. And I'm like, man, this is the first record I've done. You know, I, I just wrote it because I was in Vegas, actually, for Dave Grethman's bachelor party. Nice. Shout out, Dave. And a friend of mine, Ronnie Sightley, a friend of ours, ex-basketball player from Miami, now yeah. DJ, great DJ, comes up in the room, we're all after hours in the room, it's Dave's, you know, after party, whatever. And this guy's like, look at me, he's like, who the fuck is this Molly girl that everybody's looking for? But he's like, serious, he's like, <laughs> everybody's on. like, where's this Molly? But where the, why do they pick the name Molly? Who yeah. is Molly? Yeah. What is, and, it, and I'm listening to him at five in the morning, I'm like, where's Molly? What, like this yeah. and that, I swear to God, I went back to Miami, wrote those lyrics, yeah. made the track, and gave it to my manager. I said, this is gonna be the biggest thing. Yeah. 
right? Unreal. Because this is my manager didn't understand the record. He goes like, "What is this?" Yeah. So I did this computer vocal. So we start shopping the record. Nothing is is happening. At the time, I get a call from Chris Pacello. He's like, "I'm on the plane, about to take off to LA." He goes, "Sad, I need you in New York tomorrow. Madonna wants to see you." I said, "Chris, I ain't got time for this. I ain't got the phone. I am." You I thought he was bullshitting? Yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, I don't have yeah. time for this. I yeah. pick up the phone. Five-hour flight to LA. I, I open up like text. Of course. Chris, Are you fucking crazy? Call me back right now. So I call him. It was real. Madonna wanted to meet me to Come work on. with her on the next album. Holy shit. So I take a plane from LA, go straight to New York. Jesus Christ. I sit down with Madonna, the MDMA album we worked on, right? Yeah. I'm sitting, I'm playing her. Um, uh, she knows about Molly. She knows, she hears the song, whatever. She comes down to Miami Music Week. She goes on stage with Avicii. The first thing she says, "Hey guys, have you seen Molly?" Oh my god! And the crowd goes nuts. Right. Yeah. The next day, Dead Mouse goes bananas on her. Start tweeting, "How dare you promote drugs in our culture? You come to our culture, uh, you don't know anything about it, and all no. of a sudden you promote drugs." Right. She never had a Twitter account. She opens a Twitter account. She gets 7 million followers in 10 minutes. <laughs> her first tweet ever is a picture of her with uh, uh, Mickey Mouse here. And yeah. there's a bubble coming up. And she says, I never promoted drug in my life and I would never do. I was just promoting my good friend, Sarujo V, a new song, Where's Molly? Oh. Which we worked together on my next album. That's the first tweet she ever posted. Oh the next day God. I was on TMZ. I was on every magazine in the world. Yeah. Now every label that say no to the song are calling my manager. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Right? Like, we want to sign this record yeah. with it. So we sold the record for hundreds of thousands of dollars to people. We're Amazing. Like, like, now you want the record? This is how it's happened. So this record blew up. I went wow. in the UK top 10, like everywhere. Yes. It everywhere. Up. It was everywhere. That's how Lana Del Rey came in. Okay. Mm. The manager of Lana Del Rey came in to my, they were friends with my manager and said, why don't Cedric remix this song? And they brought me the vocal of Summertime Sunness and I did it. Fuck. Yeah. Damn. That's, that's insane. Yeah. And that went on to be, fuck, yeah. man. Like, I think that, song's, that song is still playing every year at every fucking it's festival. Crazy. So, so I did that song at the beginning. I wanted my DJ friend to play. Yeah. And they were playing it. I was like, oh, I'm happy. This is great. Then it went number one on Beatport. Yep. So that means everybody's buying it. Buying like, it wow, yeah. this is great. Then they start playing on dance radio. I was like, oh my God, that is great. Then it went top 40 radio. Yeah. That's when you know. And I was like, yeah, it's great. And I have another story about why it went top 40. So the song is doing great, right? We go to Interscope at the time and we tell them, listen, you have to push the song. This is a hit. Yeah. You have to release it. We released it on the underground side with spinning record. I say, we went to Interscope and we said, listen, this is a massive record. It's gonna cross over. You have to release it. They're like, no, Lana Del Rey already put this song out. We're done. We're not gonna push it. At the time, John Amon is the A and R of Lana Del Rey. I'm playing EDC uh, Vegas main stage. Yeah. I fly him to Vegas. I say, come with me. Mm -hmm. I put him on stage. When the chorus comes down, there's ninety five thousand people. I turn the volume down on the chorus. Ninety five thousand people singing oh. the chorus. Amazing. He looked at me like yeah. this, like, what the fuck is going on? He went back, called my manager the next day. He goes, next week, that song's going to be Top 40 Radio. And then it went Top 40 Radio. We sold 8.5 million single. But if I haven't done that, yeah, it wouldn't that song would have never come out. Wow. It's so all these little moments that yeah, I know. It's crazy. I have all these little things. So then you win the, you win the Grammy for it? Then we win the Grammy. Yes. So it went from number one. We went number six on Billboard chart here in America, number three in the UK. Number one in many countries. We yeah. sold 8.5 single at the time because there was no streaming. Now yes. we're like, I don't know, 300 million streams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it's, and then we won the Grammy for best remix. And how does that change your career at this point? Like as a whole? When you win a Grammy? Yeah. Well, you, now you're in the room. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now people want to be in the you room. You got the eyes on yes. you now. Yeah. yeah now yes. people want to work with you. Now, you know, like now I start working with Miley Cyrus. I start, you know, Usher wants me to remix a song. Like a lot of people. Yeah. Just like yeah. that, eh? Yeah, just like that. How was it winning the Grammy? It was crazy. Yeah. It was a real moment. But because you don't know. It's not like someone would show, you know, you won something. Yeah. And you know before you get there. The mm -hmm. Grammys, you don't know. You don't, you don't know. Yeah. You have no idea. Like you're uh, sitting there and you're waiting and, for the guy to say your name. And if he says And there were some some great nominees as well there alongside was like you. Bruno Mars. Uh, uh, um, um, what is the song with Alesso? Uh, 
myself tonight. What is, what is uh, with one one republic? Yep, yep. Uh, there was a Bob Marley song. Yeah, there was yeah, like, there was a lot of things. That's crazy. Up against <laughs> up against like talent like that. Yeah. Did, did, like going into it, did you have a feeling like, hey, maybe I might win, or were you just like, I'm happy to be here? Like, did you get a speech ready to go? No, <laughs> no speech. No, I, I, I had no speech. I swear to God, <laughs> zero speech. I just went up there, and I, as I'm going up there, I say, "What, what the hell am I going to say to these people?" Yeah. And yeah. I, I close the speech by saying, "I'm just a kid from my like, because I remember I saw LeBron winning the championship in Miami. Yeah. Yes, and he just said, "I'm just a kid from Akron, or yes. I, yeah, I'm Akron. not even supposed to be here. legendary." Yeah. But yeah. that stood in my head. I was like, mm -hmm. "Whoa!" So at the end of the speech, I'm saying all this. I'm thanking everybody. I say, "Hey, by the way, I'm just a kid from Marseille with a dream. I'm not even supposed to be here." Boom! Boom! Just and like I walked that. out, and everybody were like, "Doing crazy!" Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I quoted LeBron because I like I was I remember I, I was on the court looking at the speech. I was like, "This is Miami crazy. legend, yeah, hundred yeah, percent." So after that, are you looking at your career now and saying, "Okay, like I I can do I can do more. I can do different things. I'm gonna start working with bigger artists." Are you also reaching out to bigger artists, or are they coming to you? No, they're coming to me. At that yeah. Time. yeah, and are you are you at that point? I guess. Change well, at it. that point, like you're selling out shows everywhere yeah, because yeah. now you cross to the masses. When you have a song on Top 40 Radio in America, yeah, yeah, which I had one in my life. Mm. You know, my my best friend David Guetta has probably 20 of them. Calvin Harris has to what? So this is why they are massive. When you cross to the main the uh, mainstream, yeah, now the mother of the kid that's coming to see you at the show knows who you are. Yeah, true. And love you for the song. I would get true. things. My mother wants to come to your show in Chicago. This is crazy. This because they hear the song on the regular radio every yeah. day. So yeah. they're like, oh, I want to see this guy Cedric Gervais. They have no idea what I'm playing. Yeah, yeah. they just know me by that song. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's a different world. Yeah, like selling out venues. And by the way, Lana Del Rey was not selling out her shows in America. After that song, she was selling out every venue that wow. she was doing in the United States. She never had a radio hit in her life. That was the only radio hit. I was gonna say, yeah, she wasn't even really, and still no, to this day, isn't a, isn't a radio no. artist. She, she hates it. Why? Oh, okay. Well, that was my next she question. Feels like she's it wasn't all her. She doesn't. She doesn't know this world, and she doesn't. Yeah. She never wanted that, that level of success to be on the radio. That's did, not what she's about. I was really. gonna say, what were the kind of co did you have conversations with her? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I won the Grammy, she sent me a picture with a you know hands up and <laughs> yeah. But I know she she doesn't want like what I, I know that when I did Young and Beautiful, mm -hmm. which. Big the tune. only country that was allowed to release that song was Australia and New Zealand. I went four-time platinum. I was getting more plays on daytime radio than Katy Perry at the time wow. with that song. Wow. It was in, in line to be even bigger than Summertime Sadness. Lana blocked everything and turned down the record and said, do not release that record anywhere. She didn't want the success. Come on. Yeah, it was about to be, I was tune. about to be number two Grammy. It was about to be number two big radio, uh, radio record, and she shut it down. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you too. When, whenever a big moment happens for an artist, I like to ask artists this, like, did you feel the pressure of having to one-up your last remix of now? Of course, you yeah. how, did, how did you manage that? Uh, it's horrible, man. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the worst thing because you always want to do the same success. Yeah. yeah. And I got stuck. And also when you sign with major label, they want you to have like commercial success. So yes. I've done summertime Sundays without thinking about radio, without thinking, I would yeah. think about my friend to play. There was no pressure. There was no pressure. Yes. And now you have pressure to make a radio hit, to make this, that, and then you start making music that you don't like. That's what I was gonna ask That's you. Like, problem. do you feel like, pressure like that? Like, were they like saying like, well, you lose control when you when you kind of sign, right? Like they, yes. they're kind of pushing you to do a certain thing. And yes. then did you uh, feel like you were losing like the completely. passion? Completely, yeah. I, I lost everything. Like, like wow. for like two years, I was like lost. I was telling my manager, I said, "What am I doing? Like, this is not what I, I was making. Like music, like what the chain smokers are making today. But this yeah. is not me. I was yes. trying to like follow the the trend, and yeah. it was a horrible. And then when I stopped, you know, when I when I said, you know what, I'm, I'm just gonna make whatever I want, and then I started. It comes again, back again. You know? But but you said Young and Beautiful, she blocked it. What like what was your reaction when you got that news? Like and, and how did well, you Well, I knew because when we had Summertime Sadness, the American Music Award wanted us to open the show. Yeah. And they had this whole thing on the top of the biggest building in Los Angeles. It was gonna have this synth uh, orchestra. Me I mean, me obviously I'm playing guitar and everything, play with her and she her perform, she turned it down. Me performing at Coachella in the Sarah stage at the best hour, eight PM sunset. Oh, I had thousands of people in front of me. Uh, we asked her to come. She didn't want to do it. Like every crazy. time we wanted to 
Yeah, she always shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. So I was like, listen, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. But but you just did the track. You said, hey, fuck it. If she's into it, fine. And if not, yeah, whatever. whatever. I mean, everybody loved it. Everybody no, streamed no. it because yeah, sure. it was out. Yes. But she shut it down on the radio level. She didn't want that thing to go to radio. At yeah. all. Which that would have been the next. Yeah, the next one. So you wow. said for two years, you were kind of like doing things you didn't want, not yeah. feeling it anymore. How did you how did you get out of that funk? And, and at what point was that like in your career? Yeah, two years later, I did a I did a song "Do It Tonight." Yes. Yeah, that that uh, that did extremely well. It's just like I went back to my roots, like French disco house, where you sample songs. Yeah. And then uh, that song did great. We like we got on a lot of movies. We got we were actually the song of the um, uh, NFL Monday Night Football. Sick. Every time they would touchdown, they would play the song. Come on, yeah, that's it was huge. Crazy, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, all the DJs were playing it in the UK. I was like uh, record of the week on Radio One, everything. Yes. Yeah, it's just a song I wanted to do for me for DJs. Fine, again, I went to do it with no pressure and everything, yeah. and then start connecting. After that one, I said, you know what, I'm gonna do whatever I want. I also saw that you you ended up starting your own record label. Yeah, is that they true? Like that record, yeah. Cool. So how? What? Why? Why did you decide to do that? And and I, I just meet so many artists. Okay. In the world, like young kids that I that I want to sign and and sick and do it and and I've been building. I've been putting records out. On, on it so people know the record label and now i'm gonna start pushing a lot of artists young yeah. artists that i'm meeting that's kind of the next step i guess sort of like would you be interested in mentoring yeah i'm doing it artists? i'm doing it right now with yeah. a bunch of kids yeah cool. I, I met a kid from colombia called rafi saint uh uh alexander oru another guy from miami like i'm, I'm taking them under my umbrella i'm like teaching them you know uh like structure the song better yes. giving them tools how to mix the songs with people in the uk and stuff like mastering and all these things so when the music is right then i sign them and then i can you know i'm, I'm curious i want to know your thoughts on um ghost producing because we've had we've had artists in front of us uh, more in the hip-hop genre mm -hmm. and we, we've always asked them about like ghost writing and so to the public it, it always there's always a negative connotation but about what is it ghost writing well okay so th well this is what i want to ask you so so essentially it's uh you know and and that's kind of the thing so to the public it's like oh uh someone else wrote this portion of the song wrote that and whatever now when i look at it the way i think i see it is there's people collaborating in a room together right and they're involved in a track what, what's a producer to you what's a producer to me so the thing is i'm not in the music industry. Okay. I'm, 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 i may, I'm may not get this right yeah. i may not get this right a but a producer is a guy that knows how to put people in a room mm. the best in the room yes to do their job for the record I, right i like that yeah quincy jones yeah. What was he doing? When you wanted a sax player, we'll get the best sax player and put him in the room. Yes. When you wanted a guitar player, we'll get the best guitar player and put him in the room. Yeah. The guy knows how to play instrument and everything, but Quincy was on the back and just orchestrating the whole thing. Like do this, you do play this. this, you do this, you yeah. do that. The engineer, you mix it this way, this and that. That's a producer. Yes. So when people say ghost producer, I want to know yeah. there is ghost producer. This guy's producer that make music, sell to other people. Yeah. They have no idea how to make music and they put their name on it. Sure. Yeah. That's a ghost producer. I, yeah. I understand. But there's some people that I do that myself. I work with other producers, yeah. a lot of producers in the UK and everything. We bounce ideas together, yeah. we do things, change this, then I take it back, I do this, send it back, do this. So you work with other producers. And those producers are not going to be the artists of the song, yeah. but they worked on the song. Yeah. I worked with somebody with Summertime Sanders. Sure. Carlos Sid, yeah. an amazing producer. Today he's an artist and he's touring all over the world. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, but what, what, I guess then my question lead, like, leads in, because I agree with you. I think that it's collaboration. And I think that like you're only like you're smart if you are getting the best saxophone player. Like, of course. That's the best way to do it, to yeah, produce sure. the best track. So I'm in agreement with you. What I want to know maybe is why do you think. From, There's a few artists. Yeah. Calvin Harris yeah. produces everything. Yes. Writes everything. Uh -huh. But there's a few like that. Yes. Yeah. You know They're what I mean? Unicorn like, sort of. Calvin is a genius. Yeah. And he won't let people, you know, <laughs> like, touch his like, art. You know, yeah. He plays the guitar, plays the bass, yeah. mixes the song, produces mm -hmm. everything. Like because he's a he's a he's a genius. That's how yes. he is. Yes. But not everybody's like that. I'm, I play piano. I'm not the best piano player. I'm For not sure. the best guitar player. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. So why why do you think though from from the public, let's say, it's like there's a negative like look on that? I just, I think it's haters. Yeah, yeah it's true. Fair, just yeah, wanna, it's you true. know what I mean? They yeah. just want to hate. Yeah. yeah, just find a reason to kind of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah, I, like I said, even we ask hip hop artists and they kind of give the same answer. Like, if you're in the room collaborating with people, like, that's just a collab, it's a collaborative project, essentially. Yeah. Right. But everyone kind of wants to find a, a downfall. Like, you see it with Drake. He had a whole big thing with, oh, he has a ghostwriter. He has this, he has that. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, he's just, 
He's just being the smartest guy in and music. You still like the music, though. You that, still that like, you know? question, right? yeah, like, like DJ Khaled. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> he's a, I was going to yeah, bring yeah, him up. Exactly. I was going okay, to so ask DJ you. Khaled, right? Yes. Yeah. You think he sits there and makes all the beats? No. <laughs> no, no but gonna... let me ask you something. Yeah. Do you think the guy that makes the beats and gave it to him can put Drake on the song? No. No. He's DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled. Yeah. Yeah. That's his talent. And by the way, DJ Khaled is going to tell this kid, that's not the way to do it. Do it this way. Mm-hmm. And he's going to take the beat and then he's going to fix it and he's going to get, he's going to get Drake in the room. Yes. That's a talent, dude. It's yeah. like who, who can get the guys in the room. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's true. I agree with you. Yeah. It's just yeah. so weird, right? Because you always see it. But I guess, yeah, people just want to find a reason to kind of hate on your success to some level. Yeah, that's, that's always. Did you find that a lot? Like, did you find you had a lot of people, like when you, let's, let, let's say from summertime sadness going forward, was there a lot of people who kind of tried to throw dirt on your name or anything like that? Well, yeah, you're bigger now. Yeah, you were bigger. Yeah, yeah. I had many hates. I mean, when I did that song, um, Do It Tonight, there was a, a, a group from uh, New York called Solid Disco. Mm-hmm. And they used the same sample. Yeah. And this is a crazy story, right? <laughs> when you do a song like this, yes. you got to go, I sample SOS Band. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? So my manager went and asked for the clearance of the sample then you have to replay the song because mm. you cannot use the master is belongs to the record label. Yeah. So you have to replay the whole sample to use it. You have to clear the publishing, clear with the artist, then replay this thing, what I've done. I cleared everything. They even give me publishing on the song, right? Cool. Right, which is yeah. unheard of. And then I made the song, which I follow the same bass line of the original. And it's the same sample. It's just a loop of a sample going over and over. Okay. This kid did this song Three years ago, sample bootlegged the song. Yeah. Never asked for clearance, wow. never think, put it up on, on YouTube. A YouTube channel picked it up. And then one day I wake up and I see a video of I'm exposing Cedric Gervais. Yeah. They stole our song. Yeah. And, and so he started writing me on on Instagram before he puts out this video. He goes, yeah. You stole my song. I say, Excuse me, who are you? <laughs> and I have no idea where they are. Uh, he goes, I made this song, you know you're lying. Uh, you stole my bass line, which the bass line is from the original song. I say, oh, you're the bass player from SOS Band? <laughs> and he's like, no, you're playing with me, this and that. I, I, I reply, go fuck yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then he did this whole video exposing me. I had yeah. to sue the kid. It, it, it's, it's, it's just Come retards like we, that don't know the music business. Yes, yes, yes Right? Yes. I never seen the song. And even if I would have seen his video, yeah. do you know how many people sample the same sample? Yeah, of course. Hundreds. And redo the song? Yeah, yeah. And fortunately, I've done it better than you and the song blew up, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. I never knew, I never heard the song. Yeah, yeah, but to tell you, there's haters out there because their yeah. career are going nowhere and they're yes. going to try to do everything, which I've done the right way. I cleared everything. I've done everything the right way. I got yeah. the authorization. Yeah. And I... Swear to God, I never heard those guys' songs, yeah, which yeah, yeah. their version sucks, <laughs> right? And it's just they put a kick and they have the original sample on the back, yeah. bootleg. They stole the artist's song and released it yeah. without authorization. Yeah, so there you go. So they're actually in the wrong. Correct. Yes. But they, they, they're trying to expose me. So then yeah. every website picked it up, and whatever, yeah. and and he doesn't make his music, his ghostwriting, and I said, yeah. okay, well, I don't. Yeah, know no, we 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 saw we saw the video. The way you responded to him on the DM, you fucking you we killed me, bro. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I you love, saw that video, right? I love the I love the way you responded to me. Like, bro, who the fuck are you? So when do you get more into? First of all, I want to ask in terms of your label. When it comes to young talent, is there something specific that you look for, or something you like, you see, and you're like, okay, this kid's got it. Well, the music, the, the, their personality, okay, cool. The way they act, the way they, you know, the way they are, and and yeah. uh, it's very important to me to see if they have a charisma or sort of stuff like that. True. And is it and is it uh, like is it more with people that you meet in person? Is it like like has it been maybe that you just heard a song online and you're like, well, this guy Rafi Saint saw me at Ultra uh, at um, EDC Orlando years ago. Okay. And he just uh, show up at the end of my set. He goes, I'm a huge fan, and and start talking about the sets that I'm doing. You're inspiring me and making music. So I said, send me your music. So I started listening to his music. And I said, um, you're, not, you're not ready yet. The music is not ready. So it took him five years to get to his ad. I'm helping him out. Now Now we're working together. We're making songs together. Yes. I just remixed the last David Guetta with him. Yeah. Uh, I'm Good, which we went number one on dance radio in America yeah. with that remix. Yeah. What I'm saying is like it took him five to six years to yeah. get there. Mm-hmm. And I tell him, trust me. And then what I also did is I took him with me, I say, you need to see the world and you need to understand how this business works. So I say, you're gonna come with me as my tour manager 
and you're going to meet all the promoters. And we went to Qatar together for the World Cup. I took him to everywhere. So now he went to Vegas, he went to San Francisco, New York, Chicago, all this, meets all the promoters, see the thing, how it works. This kid was just in Miami, going nowhere. And all of a sudden he sees the world. Yes. Came to Asia with me, came to uh, Middle East, this, festival, that, ultra, this, that. So I'm showing him the rope. Now he's in a room with David Guetta. He's mm. in the room with the Swedish South Mafia. When Swedish South Mafia is the biggest band ever for him. Yep. He's like, he's a biggest idol. Went to San Francisco, Steve, Seb, they're my boys for yes. years. Invited me backstage with them. I was chilling before their show with them. The kid is there looking at them. <laughs> like, what the hell? You know what I mean? But the most important thing, when you're in the room, it's how you stay in the room. Yes. That's why I always tell them. Mm. I say, I'm opening the doors for you, but now you have to stay in that room. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And do you do you find yourself getting fulfillment now from mentoring these younger yeah, artists? Because I feel like of course. a lot of people we talk to, they get to a certain level and, and they're super successful. And their next way of, you know, feeling that fulfillment is helping others get there Correct. too. Correct. I mean, look at David Guetta, what he does. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. He's this more successful DJ in the world and, and he still work hard. Still helps uh, talent DJs everywhere, signs uh, records uh, with other guys, signs yeah. DJs under his name. Like it's, it's insane. Well, he actually did that with some Toronto guys. Zach, uh, J- Jacko. Jacko. Uh, that was Tiesto, yeah. Oh, Tiesto, yeah. sorry. Not Tiesto, Jacko and Torres, yeah. yeah. They were yeah. from Toronto. Yeah. That's my guy. Buddies, yeah. Yeah. I love him. But yeah, I think I think that's definitely the the next play. I actually want to actually want to circle back. You mentioned uh, Dave Grumman. I know we're speaking a little bit yeah. off camera. For us, for a lot of people, he's the fucking king of Miami, like hospitality. Yeah. I want to know how you guys met uh, and, and became friends and got close. We met years ago. Uh, Dave was always like the marketing genius in Miami. Yeah, He was always um, the one that brings all the celebrities to Miami. He mm-hmm. had all the connection, everything. We worked together in the past with Opium Group and everything. And then when we're a friend. I was friend with Dave when at the beginning of his career. Yeah. Still friend with him. He's been there for me so many times. He, he always gets mad at me because he says, you forgot to thank me at the Grammy. That's the biggest <laughs> thing. Like it's, no. it's day. Still to this he day. He keeps telling everybody, he never thank me. You're going to win another Grammy. one now. Yeah, gonna... I'm trying to win another one so I can say, hey, thank you, Dave Grotman. There you go. He really helped me for my career. Yeah. He's like the nicest friend. Like it's everything. I mean, I'm, I'm in movies in Hollywood because of Dave. Yeah. With Mark Wahlberg. Like, you know, I'm yes. saying, like, the power that Dave has is insane. Yes. You know what I mean? So, and I saw the way he grew in Miami, like, by taking Liv. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I went with him the first time he went to Ibiza. I was with him when he realized that DJs were going to blow up would be the next thing. He realized that in Ibiza. He came back and he's like, we got to book DJs now. Yeah. Yes. And that's what he did at Liv. And Liv blew up. Yeah. Right? He Took had the, the vision. Step. He did it. And then all the restaurants he opened and all. I mean, there's, there's nobody better in marketing and connection than Dave Grutman in the world. Agreed. The king. In the world. Yeah, yeah. I'm the telling king. You. He's the king. It's, it's crazy. It's and, pretty and, incredible. And you said done. about uh, tennis, if I know, because he said he was <laughs> I don't think you, you want to talk times. about this. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> because he's been playing tennis for like five years now, every day yeah. with a coach. Yeah. I play tennis once a year. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. with <laughs> First Dave. of all, it's called Fennis because you don't serve. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's called Fennis, yes. yeah. It's own thing. It's called Fennis. It's fake tennis. <laughs> and every time I come, I whoop his ass. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody knows. Yeah. Right? You hear that, Dave? Yeah. So that's not a good subject. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. You just look at me. Change the subject. So you mentioned even before we started that you're you're investing in new businesses and stuff like that too. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, what I what what I was doing when I was making money is I was uh, investing in real estate. So what I was doing, I was cool. like, I don't want to pay rent. Yep. I want to own my own house. And then I figured out in Florida, homestead, when you live in a house for two years, then taxes, you don't have to pay taxes for your gain on the house, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So I say, I'm going to buy my house. I'm going to redo this house. I'm going to fix it up. And in two years from now, I'm going to sell it and then move to the next one, make money, move to the next one. And that's yeah. what I started doing at a very young age. My first house was 22 years old. Yeah. Whoa. So oh. buying houses, yeah. At the time where they were giving crazy loan with 10% of down. Of course, that's yes. what I was going to say. Right? Yeah. So I did it. I was like, okay, let's go. Yeah. I did it. Sold, made 300000 I was like, wow, this is amazing. But yeah. my next house, fix it up. My grandfather was helping me fixing up the house. Made 600000 Yeah. Then I kept going, kept yeah. going, and kept going. And I understood that. And I kept, you know, making money, rolling the money over to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Then I stopped buying two things. And then and you keep you it know, going, and then renting, too. and then all these things. That's why yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Going, yeah. So, so while you're at space, 
you're also renovating houses Correct. at the same time. Yeah, no, I swear to God. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. You have That's to. That's amazing. Yeah. And in, even even like, would you ever get into other businesses, hospitality or anything? Like I, that? I own a restaurant in Aspen and a club in Aspen. My first one that I opened, and I'm opening many ones. It's called Madamushi. It's a Japanese restaurant. It's the hottest restaurant in Aspen right now. Sick. Uh, we have Gala, which is the the club here. Yeah. Uh, Gala in Aspen, which incredible this year. I had my friend Get Out playing. Yeah. Stevie Oki, Diplo, Sophie Tucker. Yes. Uh, Sean White that did his own party there. Like it was. It's our first year. First three months we did. Yeah. And we rocked it. It's my first uh, uh, thing in the that. nightlife yeah, that I've done. And uh, now we're opening Denver. We're opening. Uh, we're gonna open next Arizona. Scottsdale. Cool. Of course. And I'm opening also a famous uh, restaurant from Paris called Lavenue. Cool. Beauty. It's like one of the iconic restaurants. And we're opening this in the design district as well. Sick. And yeah. these are all, I guess, Sick. like you're you're coming onto these projects as a strategic yeah, I have partner. I like Jervé right? Hospitality that I start a company oh, and sick. I'm starting cool. doing those projects. Yes. And then, um, you know. And then what, I guess I'm interested in this. What do you try to bring to the table when you're, when you, when you come and partner up with these venues or you start a venue, you start a new Well, definitely the club in Aspen, my knowledge about club. Like cool, I designed the sound system. It's it's every DJ that walked in there, they're like, I, I never heard. I actually took the 11 sound from 11. Nice. 11 created their own sound. Yes. It's called the 11 yep. sound. Yeah. Yep. So I called Gino, the owner. I said, Gino, I want to I want to represent 11 in, in, in Aspen. I need a deal with the system. They came and they designed the system. It's one of the best systems you ever heard. Sick. I it swear to God, every sick. DJ Diplo played, he was like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So I designed the club. Uh, you know what I mean? I run the club. Restaurant side, my partners with my partners, it's Matt Zingler from Rolling Loud. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Jojo and Mo, that used to work with Grutman. So those guys have knowledge about hospitality. So yeah. what I bring to the table is... I guess my name brings people, of and course. then when I'm in the restaurant, people love to see me, and I talk to people and stuff like that. Yeah. I live in Aspen, mm -hmm. so it's easy for me to go to a restaurant. Yeah. I'm learning in the restaurant, so I don't really give, I, I give my input on the food, right? But sure. you know what you're good at. You, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. what I'm good at. Yeah. I'm not good, I know how to run a club, yeah. but I don't know how to run a restaurant. But yes. I know a, a, a food's supposed to taste because I'm eating <laughs> in the best restaurant in the world. All yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's all I say, but I let them run this thing, which is running perfectly now. So when it comes to all that, I mean, you have a lot going on. How long, like, what in, in terms of DJing, do you see yourself doing this for your whole life? When do you think you're going to stop? I don't know. I just love it. I you love it, right? It. Yeah. I, I, I don't know when I'm going to stop. I wanted to ask you this because I feel like, and, and there's been a lot of, uh, you know, rest in peace, Avicii, of course. Um, DJs have a hard life. Yeah. It, it looks like fun and games when you're watching them, but I could imagine all the stress that comes behind, behind the scenes and, and you flying there and you performing there. How were you able to stay mentally balanced throughout the last few decades? I think staying healthy. Uh, the, I don't know. I always wanted to um, do the shows on the weekend and come back to my house yeah. very early. Like when I go to Vegas, I would perform in Vegas. Some DJ would stay an extra two nights and party in Vegas. I would leave at 6 a.m. in the morning and go back to my house. All right yeah. away. Because I wanted to have like a normal Monday. I want to wake up, go to the gym, make music, eat healthy. Yeah. That's just my you know what do you th what do you think made the difference between you thinking that way and a lot of djs that maybe get sucked into the toxic side of being a dj or a nightlife as a whole uh, i don't know because you might see it see it too with younger djs or just of DJs. course i yeah. mean i've seen it with avici yeah like yeah. he was a friend like it's it's i think avici they just overworked him yeah mm. like There's he the people was, around I don't know him. how many shows he was doing a year that was i think that's insane on the body it's insane on the mind yeah everything the hours so the was there ever that. like moments where you said like no chill i gotta chill for this week or i can't I, do this. I actually recently when i went to do uh the world cup in qatar mm -hmm. wow. i did like 28 shows in 28 days Holy yeah man. at the end of it i i, I looked at my tour manager i was like i, I want to take the whole month of january off like i'm, I'm losing my mind right now like this yeah. is crazy because every day, every night was a festival during the World Cup. Yes. Then I, w I went to Saudi Arabia. Then I went to Thailand for a festival. Then I went to Indonesia for a festival. All in the period of 28 days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was like losing my mind. I was like, yeah. I, like I want to rest. This is crazy. And then I tried to have January off. I, I still yeah, have shows. Luck. I have yeah, to do the right. shows, whatever. But I can tell. I mean, when Avicii was doing like 300 shows a, week, a year, a year like, it's yeah. crazy. How do you, you, you'll go that, crazy yeah. like mentally. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious. You've literally performed everywhere in the world at this point. Um, is there one specific venue or festival that you're just like, this was the best thing I've ever done, the best show I've ever had, or even a place that you just love to go back to? 
Well, Ibiza is the place that I love to go back. When I play yeah. Ushuaia with David Guetta, it's, yeah. it's Ushuaia, like one yeah. of the best spots in the world. We got to go, man. It's I insane. See oh, it's insane. Uh, Coachella was really like a high moment for me. Yeah. Playing Coachella, yeah, performing Coachella. Of course, the biggest, yeah. would you say biggest festival in, in the world? No, this bigger festival. It's just like very prestigious festival yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay. you say, you play Coachella, you really have, because they don't book, they just, don't repeat the artists every year. Yeah. Ultra will repeat the artists every sure, year, all sure. the other festivals, which Ultra is massive. It's just Coachella is like, you have to earn your right to play Coachella. It's like really Yeah, crazy. it's different, it's different. Yeah. What advice do you have for a young DJ? Maybe a, a 19, 20-year-old DJ right now. That's Start wearing ear plugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the best advice. Trust me, trust me. We help. Get a ear plugs, put it in, and never take it so off. So let's say, let's say you were 19 years old right now. Yeah. What, what would you do differently now that you see the way the world is now and you wanted to be a DJ? Well, I started in a different world. I know, I yeah, know. very different world. But uh, you see kind of both worlds. You've got to see both. I, I say make music. Make music and then go right to the to the artists on Instagram. Yeah. DM the artists. I just saw a guy in Aspen that reached out to me, a DJ from Aspen that wants to play my club and produce music. I listened to his music. He reached out to DJ Snake. DJ Snake replied to him, I love the song you just made. Let's talk. I might take it for myself. We'll produce it together. He just sent him a DM. Yeah. This guy is nowhere. This guy is not DJing anyway. He's producing music. So I'm saying, I say, make music, send it out there, send it to all DJ. One of them are going to open the thing and listen to it. It's true. Yeah. Do, you, you know? do you wish you had DMs back in the day or what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. I had to go to shows <laughs> yeah. with CDs in my hand yeah. and hope that the guy is not going to throw it away <laughs> yeah. and actually put it in a CD player and listen to it. Yeah, true. it was so much harder. Now, now they just send a DM, click it, play it. It's like, oh, this yeah. is good. Crazy. We got our famous question for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, first of all, yeah, I want to say thank you so much for inviting us to your space. Oh, you're welcome. Doing this has been an absolute pleasure. What a story! Holy shit! <laughs> uh, you know, you're a legend here, and I think, thank uh, you. yeah, just appreciate you giving us the time. Um, but we are the MBH podcast. Money buys happiness. Do you, Cedric, believe money buys happiness? Um. I think money buys freedom. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Freedom is happiness. But the thing is, I never thought about money. I always did what I did, not thinking about money. Mm. Always thinking about doing what I love. Yeah. And I was never worried about money. I mean, I, 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 this is not an advice that I'm giving, but it's just like I, some people do things for money and mm -hmm. forget about what they're doing. Yeah. I never, I never thought about. I have to do this because I have to make this amount of money in my life. Yeah. And material, like things for me, it's not like buying expensive stuff is not very important to me. Yeah. But it gives you the freedom, you know what I mean? To do whatever you want, to go wherever you want. Of course. On vacation, explore the world or, or, or help other people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Go yeah, skiing absolutely. in Aspen. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Oh, skiing in Aspen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And bring Appreciate up other it. artists. No, for sure. Correct. Thank you. Cedric, once again, thank you so much. We Thanks appreciate it. Me. And guys, if you're still here and I know you are, you're not subscribed, hit the subscribe button, like the video, let us know what you thought of the interview. We'll leave all of his socials. You already know him. I really shouldn't have to do that, but we'll put it anyways. Thank you so much. And Dean? We're out.